Web3 Unpacked is proudly published by Movement, a leading design consultancy that specializes in Web 2 and 3, strategy, design, branding, creative content development, and content marketing. We help companies ensure that their brand and business remain differentiated and competitive in a rapidly evolving digital landscape. To learn more, please visit mvmt.media. Welcome back to Web3 Impact, everyone. And today we're happy to have Max Howell, CEO of T, join us today. T is a cross-platform, open-source package management system, and Max and his team are on a mission to fix open-source development. Welcome, Max. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course, of course, and thanks for being here. Um, you've got an interesting product, um, really, you know, interesting. I've used these type of uh, services and products in the past, and you guys are approaching it a little bit different. So I'm excited to hear what you're up to and kind of what's your runway and, and, and what's, it, what's it all about. Before we get started, though, I always like to ask our guests, um, how did you get into Web3 or crypto? How did it start for you? Um, it started just before T, I, I have to confess. Um, I had a friend who was trying to get me into crypto since like, you know, 2013 or something. And uh, every so often he'd phone me and say, hey, Max, you got to get into Ethereum smart contracts. You can make 500 bucks an hour and stuff like that. And uh, in the end, uh, I listened and he uh, got me into this uh, developer DAO, not the developer DAO, a different one. And uh, I started looking into what was going on in that space. And uh, while exploring it is when I had the idea for T, which uh, we started about two years ago. So I am kind of new to it, I'm ashamed to say. Uh, I ignored it like many for a while, uh, but now I've seen the light, I, I gotta say, and uh, love everything in this space. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's very different and it's a complete mind, you know, mind shift for a lot of people. And it really doesn't matter when you get into it. If you're, you know, a technology forward person, you just have to kind of make that mental leap and go for it. I mean, there's different languages to learn and all that stuff, but it's all good. Um, and, um, you know, with that said, you know, we all have our own personal reasons of kind of what tipped us over the edge and kind of what we're doing now and beyond. What does it mean to you personally? I always like to ask this one too. Well, by far the most important thing for me personally with this endeavor is uh, attempting to fix how open source is uh, appreciated in this world. It's a, it's a well-known problem that open source uh, at this point powers like so much of our software stack, so much of the internet, so much of modern tech. And uh, people have tried to fix the fact that it's not compensated in any way for a long time. And, uh, you know, people have tried it in a Web3 way as well. Like, Bitcoin is obviously a very successful thing. But uh, fundamentally, open source is different. And that's why fundamentally I feel that it's never really... None of these other solutions have really succeeded where we're approaching it in a, a more... Um, in a way that reflects the nature of how open source works better like open source isn't a typical uh market it isn't something that you can just slap like uh normal capitalist ideas on top of fundamentally it's a system of free software so we've devised a system that we hope will uh, allow that incredibly valuable 
uh, marketplace that hasn't actually had its value recognized to be uh, correctly attributed. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and I think the key keywords here are you know open and source. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and there's so much to kind of unpack just on that topic alone. We we talk to a lot of obviously a lot of open source developers. Um, from how the software is engineered, how it's disseminated or, you know, released down to how people are managed within your ecosystem. So that really interests me, actually. Um, so why don't you kind of tell us a little bit about um, about T and and really what makes it unique and different and what our listeners should kind of look for? Yeah, so uh, for me, look, I've always been into open source, which is why I fell into the Web3 area so easily. I find that it was very similar. It's very similar to how I remember software being when I first got involved in it professionally, which was like 2004-ish. And like the, the space was full of people who were in it for building what they hoped would be, would change the future. And uh, Web3 feels the same. Sorry, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, I was uh, asking kind of really what what makes this different in a world with you know Apache bundler and Yarn mm. and all that all these type of uh, different products. What sets you aside? Like what sets you apart? Um, what makes you unique? Well, um, so you know, I created uh, this open source product called Homebrew uh, back in 2009 and uh, it's, it's one of the biggest open source projects that's ever existed and uh, it was that that thrust me into this uh, space where I, I was suddenly working a huge amount of my time on these free uh, pieces of software that the world then took and used and in that time like Web2 turned up and then built everything on top of open source and then we got this like fundamental issue where people maintain all this stuff in their free time and they uh, can't can't exactly afford it so I came to the realization that a package manager is fundamentally aware of the complex interactions between all the different pieces of open source well there's tens of millions of packages and the part of the stack that knows how all that works which bits are important which bits are fundamental pieces, but they're buried deep and nobody really knows about them, but someone's still maintaining that thing. Someone's still putting all this work in. And so you could apply that on top of um, some sort of blockchain or set of smart contracts or build a protocol. This is like how I visited it two years ago. And uh, under that, then you sort of have a tool that understands the value of that ecosystem. And then if you could just like make sure the token flows through it, you can go to all the right pieces. As well as making something that doesn't like have like direct purchasing involved, right? Like that's what I mean when I say that open source is a different kind of ecosystem. A lot of people will hear what I'm doing and they assume that you're gonna have to pay like um, a tenth of a cent or something to install Node. And, uh, you know, like, maybe that system would work. I don't think it would. I think people have tried that. Like, if you look across the Web3 space, trying to fix how open source is rewarded is something that uh, a lot of people have tried. And uh, Gitcoin's probably the most successful, right? But I don't think, personally, bounties are the, the final solution for 
fixing this problem where the, the people want to be working on this software full time and the world needs them to, right? Like so many security holes in open source. <laughs> Probably the only people who know about them are the people exploiting them. And uh, the maintainers aren't properly incentivized to uh, actually fix that stuff. Um, they want, they don't want their stuff to be insecure, right? But they have a full-time job and kids and house payments and like they need to be able to uh, pay for all that. So it, it's not incentivized, but so, you know, uh, our approach is unique. One thing I hear all the time is that from people who aren't into crypto, like, obviously I can relate because I wasn't particularly into it. You know, I, uh, I got a $5 Bitcoin donation back in 2012 for my open source. That was like one of my first intros to it. Uh, the guy was like, you got a wallet? And I was like, no, better go and find out how to do that. And so it was $5 then and I uh, sold it at the last bull cycle. Uh, so did all right. Can't remember <laughs> what the percentage increase, you, you can figure it out. Um, but like people who aren't into it still, especially because like there's such bad rep, are like, um, this is like the first project I've heard of that makes sense to me. Like I can see how uh, using cryptocurrencies makes sense. I can see how Web3 technologies fit onto this concept, onto this idea, and also why you can't really do it with uh, normal currencies, like with central banking. So I feel that, you know, we're, we're building something that hopefully will be a kind of bridge for uh, all the Web2 devs and all the Web2 people. Um, well, not all of them. <laughs> the people who understand what open source is and understand the software industry, like, it hopefully will be something which makes it clear that this is just a technology with use and utility and not just a thing where rug pulls and scams happen. But I... I compare it to email, right? Because like, I think some of the first people who were making money with email were uh, the scammers. And uh, let's face it, uh, there's still a lot of scams going on in, in your junk box. Uh, like the technology, however, we figured out how to make it useful, uh, debatably useful. I think email is one of the worst of the web one technologies, really. But yeah, we still, we've become dependent on it. It proved its utility. We just had to figure out how to extract that utility and make it so it wasn't overwhelmingly bad actors. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, email being, you know, a basic tool, but it does get exploited, right? And, you know, that happens every single second of the, of the day, actually. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, as we start to kind of un unwrap this kind of, this technology that you're building, um, you know, you mentioned people joining, you know, joining the team, an open source team to help develop the, this product, right, or project. Now, if I I join the product project, am I starting a node? Do I have to start a node to actually uh, do it? And is that how it works? Thousands, hundreds of thousands of nodes, kind of serving and uh, acting as validators, and then it's actually indelibly inked and or approved via the blockchain is that correct no not really like i i thought it would work like that initially um but we've been designing this thing for over a year now 
Um, still possibly will be nodes. Oh, yeah, 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 there will definitely be nodes at some point in the future. But we're starting off with uh, a single oracle that computes uh, what we call T-Rank, which is uh, the rankings of all the different open source projects. And there's millions, right? Uh, probably 20, 30 million open source projects. Like, if you de-dupe some of the crap that's in NPM and Cargo, at least. But uh, we've currently got I think 10 to 15 mil in our uh, database and uh, the Oracle will compute the rankings on a daily basis and initially there'll just be one but over time that will decentralize and we will uh, hopefully have people running nodes but the main users of the protocol won't have to do so uh, even the open source maintainers um, because of the Oracle uh, you'll write a uh, you'll sign a piece of um, text into your GitHub or GitLab or whatever kind of Git repo you're using, uh, signed against the wallet, and we'll use that to identify where like token flows, essentially. And then um, the, uh, the non-open source users of the protocol will uh, mostly be steeping, we call it, which is, you know, effectively staking, but because we're not going to be running our own uh, level, uh, layer two, uh, it's not really... Uh, so um, we call it steeping, and they steep against the packages in the graph. There'll be incentives there to make sure that you uh, try to pick ones that aren't too popular, because you know it's a problem. But it isn't that much of a problem with our system because every epoch when we generate the rewards, uh, a percentage goes to the people steeping, and a percentage goes to those projects that they steep. And then that is split off again each time with the smart contracts so that it is uh, given to all the dependencies. And so like, you know, one of the problems with open source is like the sheer number of packages. And the fact that it's comp, this is why we need package managers, right? It's kind of the thing that you shouldn't need, but we built this complex system that's ever more complex. So you need tooling to manage it. And it's part of the reason sponsorship doesn't work, right? It's because your average app is like six or 7,000 different open source packages. How are you going to sponsor all those packages without some sort of layer of automation? And again, like people have tried to create those sort of layers of automation. The problem is incentivizing uh, all the projects to participate. And uh, what's in it for them? And like we're bringing all these extra benefits like governments and uh, uh, the fact that we will be like heavily marketing uh, you as uh, a participant in the, uh, in the project. Uh, so it's you know when I started it I was like could this work and like every month I'm like it's going to work <laughs> just slightly more and so uh, we're hoping to release the incentivized testnet uh, later this year so getting close yeah and um, you hit on something your, your overall message here is you just got to go for it I mean, you, you do want strategy and obviously architecture to be in place, but in the world of Web3, that's just not, there's not one way to do it. You can do it lots of different ways. You can use different types of tokenomics if you're using that or tokens and arbitrage systems and staking or steeping, which I like very on brand, by the way. Um, uh, so it, it's it's really kind of, kind of interesting there. Um, there is one other point that I wanted to bring up uh, the idea of, oh, I'm forgetting it, but uh, I'll get back to that. But I love this statement 
that you that I've seen floating around. And uh, T is one of the first legitimate use cases for blockchain technology. That's pretty. That's a pretty heavy statement there. You yeah, know, just I, I apologize <laughs> to our listeners. Uh, my marketing team wanted to say that. Like, I, I know there's other good legitimate uses. It's oh, no. just that to, uh, to a lot of people who are outside the industry, they haven't understood those uses. And uh, ours resonates in a way they understand better. Sorry, but I on. do I do like the analogy that they were making. And, you know, and this is where I was headed. And it's, you know, just as the US dollar was backed by gold, you know, you're, you guys are building an economy backed on code, which is really mm -hmm. cool. Um, how does that work? I mean, is it, you know, I think you kind of went into it a little bit, but, um, you know, the backing the dollar is such a common, you know, it's part of our, all of our lexicon these days. You know, how is code backing up your, your network? Well, the way we built it is to recognize that there is huge value in all this open source software. It's just that nobody's figured out a way to recognize that value and express it before. Uh, you know, by building it on top of a package manager so it understands that network and that graph, but also giving people the opportunity to actually build on top of that value using our protocol. It's this recognition, which I think is unique in our approach. Like, uh, you know, over the last 10, 15 years that I've been involved in software, open source went from being something that people thought was stupid and never gonna like be a big important piece of anything to running just about everything. Like when I first got in open source, Linux was a hobby project for almost everybody, but people believed it was going to go somewhere. Of course, it's still always the year of the Linux desktop, but Linux completely slayed in every other way. Like being on like just about every phone that's out there, like obviously FreeBSDs on Apple's, but Linux on everything else. And like every, most devices nowadays, like open source has just spread wide. And now it's impossible to deny how vital it is to the world. And yet um, it's a flaky industry effectively because nobody figured out a proper monetization strategy. There's a few commercial open source, which basically T is, right? Because we took VC. But like I keep saying, um, if T existed, I wouldn't have taken VC for T. Uh, we want to make a system where it is possible for people who build open source to find an avenue through to uh, making it work for them without it having to like go off and uh, big, big VCs for money or big for donations by expressing the value of open source on top of a protocol. <clears throat> yeah, speaking, uh, obviously, continuing to speak about open source. Um, one of the books that I encourage everyone as soon as it comes up on the podcast it, to read is the Cathedral and the Bazaar. If you haven't mm -hmm. read that one, I'm sure you have. But yeah. um, fantastic. It goes into Linux, open source, the importance of it. Uh, how it got started, and, you know, beyond. It's fantastic mm -hmm. book. Completely changed my view of things. Um, <clears throat> you know, we, we live in the world of what I call, not so, not so much anymore, thanks to guys like you, but the, the walled garden wall. Like, everything's closed off, everything's hermetically sealed. There is a better way. There is a faster way and a better way, a cleaner way to develop open source code. Um, one of the things you, you brought up before with package management, it is about automating 
your your code workflow and your your work process. How or if you I don't even know if you are, but are you guys using AI any way in any shape to automate? Um, so probably will. I'm still building out some of the fundamentals. Um, and like a lot of our priorities right now are on the protocol side of things. But uh, we have um, the uh, the GUI, as we call it, which is like the graphical version of the command line tool. And uh, in that, uh, we've focused on all the new AI tools that have been coming out. So you can use them. How we might use it inside, uh, you know, there's a lot of possibilities. I just don't want to copy what everyone else is doing. So probably I'm going to run a create a lang chain, which uh, reads all the manual pages of all the tools. So you can ask inside the TGUI for like how to use different bit, what recommend, get a recommendation on what open source to use and things like that. Um, well, you know, but there's a lot of that out there. I'm waiting for like something a little more unique before I apply it. In terms of like AI on the protocol, probably not. You know, it needs to be, we need to know how it works. And let's face it, no one that really understands how these AI agents work, which is like a sci-fi dystopia right there. But I, I, don't, I don't see anyone, well, you know, someone's probably gonna put AI in a protocol somewhere, right? God help us all. <laughs> well, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, it's like any other tool, and, and it's the bright, shiny new new thing out there. Um, it doesn't mean you have to use it, right? No, no. Um, you know, a lot of people use it for supply chain and just kind of every kind of automation no. type of uh, scenario. But it doesn't mean you have to use it. Um, and mm. you're right. You know, there has to be a really good reason. You have to really understand it, and it is a different type of tool set yeah, or knowledge I think, set. I think a lot of people are adding it to things that it doesn't make a huge amount of sense to because it's a great buzzword right now and it will get you some press, but I've never been a believer in that. Like, it has to make sense to me. I've, yeah. I've implemented things in my life and then just thrown them away when I couldn't figure out how to uh, find the fun, as I call it. <laughs> Which uh, I, I got that quote from some British games dev, I forget his name. But uh, he, he said that he would like come up for, with ideas for games and then spend the first few months just finding the fun, and, uh, basically iterating on like the core gameplay loop concepts that he had until the game was fun. <laughs> and if it yeah. wasn't, then he'd abandon it, which I think a lot of people are scared to abandon work. <sighs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, look, I I'm cut from a creative cloth and it's extremely emotional. Uh, for developers and creatives to let go of their ideas, especially if they're self-funding or coding something and they're putting a lot of effort into it. Um, and I love that term, find the fun, because mm -hmm. it all, you know, it, I, I spent years working with Nickelodeon. I built hundreds of games for them online sure. and standalone, you know, first persons. Um, and, you know, you do find out through level design if this if it's a valid idea and it, mm. are you telling a good story and is it entertaining for your for your audiences so i really like that um one quick question bouncing back to gui gui is now is it is gui the open is it a, like an open wiki like a wiki that people contribute to or a knowledge base or is it uh, a knowledge base and a marketplace 
Um, well, it's it's just a, a graphical user interface for the command line interface. Um, I've I've often felt that with developer tooling and quite a lot of different tooling, like there, there's two ways to use it and done well, you've got a great command line interface and you've got a complementary graphical interface, which maybe has uh, some more advanced features in some ways, but they shouldn't just overlap each other, which I think is something a lot of people do when they build out one or, uh, I mean, both. So I, the, usually with open source, especially because it's developers who don't have great user interface design chops, they just take the, the literal command line interface and put buttons on a screen and go, done. And then they're like, why doesn't anyone want to use it? Well, it's because like, it, it, you just literally engineered like yeah. a, uh, a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, uh, so I, I try to make something which complements like the command line interface um, it, for, yeah, open source. And uh, in, in that respect, it's like an app store, right? I, I felt that there's just so much awesome open source out there that very few people know about because the the way to access it is through brew install and like mm -hmm. a lot of people hate the terminal especially new developers like nowadays um they do not want to start with the terminal they don't even want to start with an app they want to go straight to something in the browser if possible and then maybe eventually they get back to the command line because it is absurdly awesome <laughs> like, i think everyone who uh, ends up at the command line at some point or another like learns to love and hate, but overall love it. So yeah, I felt that there was an opportunity there and I, I really like what we built. Uh, like I was saying, we're, we're focused on the local AI stuff because I don't think anyone else is, right? Like, uh, so I kind of laugh when I see like stuff in my Twitter feed, which is like, uh, someone's like, I open sourced a new AI app. And then you look into it and it's like 80 lines of code and then a call to open AI's API. And it's like, is it, is this really open source? <laughs> like, it's just an open source user interface with a proprietary, God knows how it works, um, call to OpenAI under it. So I really like the local AI stuff that people have been working on. Uh, it's not as capable of, as OpenAI as GPT-4 for sure, but it's surprisingly close a lot of the time. So we've uh, put a lot of time into emphasizing those so you open up a app and like the first page is like a discover page essentially for what is going on in local artificial intelligence and uh, i love the fact that everything you do in it stays on your computer you can ask it anything you want and nobody else is ever going to know apart from you and the agent <laughs> if the yeah. agent can remember yeah absolutely um and you bring up some really interesting points and you know, command line versus GUI. And obviously I'm a graphic guy. I've spent most of my career designing interfaces and working with developers. And you basically outlined, you know, day one of what the web itself to modernity right today, which is developers are used to command lines. They're used to having lines of code and language do the work for them. And it's ironic how AI or conversational AI is starting to kind of bring everyday normies into that command line world, right? Understanding mm -hmm. different syntax or language to use to get different results within a text field, whether it be mm -hmm. graphical, audio or video or whatever you're doing. 
or code now. Uh, build a website in three seconds. Um, you know, it's interesting from a design perspective how we're kind of migrating back. And this is something as a, as a designer, most of my career has been, I can't wait for the, you know, interfaceless interface, right? <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> I throw that out at people and they're like, what the hell is that? It's like something no, I that mean, you talk I, to. I thought the same. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Like, you know, what is the ultimate way to interact with anything is the voice. Uh, that's why as people, we, uh, we talk and we don't, you know, prod each other. <laughs> exactly. Like, so, yeah, I've, I've thought that for a long time that, you know, it was interesting to me that on Star Trek, they had so many buttons. It just didn't seem like there would be. It would be, I just imagine, mostly content. And then you, you talk with the interface to uh, adjust that content. Because that's what the UI is still going to be good at is showing things visually like your eyes uh process data i think it's like 12 gigabits a second or something it's still a, a fantastic way to get data into your brain <laughs> it's just the language is it's and like, it's so interesting that we found ai through language right like that made me think about it for a while it's like is there something about language that is intelligence is intelligence just language and like yeah kind of right Kind of is makes sense yeah and and ironically the last ai type of scenario to be developed is really natural natural language which is the the actual you speaking or voice recognition it really is still not where it should be to get that star trek you know that idea and you know by the way star trek depending on your age that was super futuristic, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, but it's I completely funny how agree. wrong it was. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the, I often, uh, you know, I, I like cars, uh, you know, driving them, fixing them, hot-rodding them, doing whatever. But one thing that always irritated me in contemporary cars is the button setup or the lack thereof, mm. right? So you go into a Tesla, it looks like a Tesla cockpit for one of their SpaceX programs, uh, which is really cool. Like you sit in the seat, they don't do anything. You're on autopilot basically. Mm. And you've got a big <laughs> fat flat screen, right? Now mm -hmm. you go into a car and to me it felt, initially it felt sterile, right? I needed something. So there's the, the, the cross between doing something with your hands and being very tactile and just maybe even talking to it. So voice commands in a car is, is a no-brainer, basically. Um, Especially because, like, people don't mind talking in their cars. Like, one issue with voice interface, of course, is because it doesn't matter so much now we're all remote. But when we were working in offices, like, I couldn't imagine, like, everyone talking to their computers all day. It would just feel stupid. <laughs> uh, but in a car, it's fine. Like, let's talk about cars. Like, uh, they're, they're utilizing, apart from the wheel. Right, the wheel and the pedals like that. That was good design, but everything yeah. else, like God, reaching for the radio and almost killing yourself, and like all these touch screens that are turning up on everything nowadays. Like the worst possible place for them is the car, for God's sake. <laughs> so you have to take your attention off the road, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And one of my, I, I always joke around with people, I'm like, you know, what, you know, what's your favorite interior? Are you talking cars? And it's like old school late 80s porsche 911 mm -hmm. you know why it was a tin can 
it had a radio maybe <laughs> uh, and that was basically it and maybe it had heat and maybe maybe it had AC um, but it was an engine it connected mm. you to the road and that's why you bought that car you know um, yeah I, I mean you know it depends on what story you want to tell and you how you want your users to use your products so uh, just interesting design you know chatter uh, things I think about uh, along the way. And it's very applicable here. And it's what we're seeing now. And I love the idea of like the entire world is going to command line. It's not just, you know, developers. Uh, yeah. it, it's it's funny. Um, it's pretty great. So, like, I, I barely use Google anymore. I just use ChatGPT and various other things. You know, I've got AI in my editor and I've got yeah. a few other, like, just too many. For a bit, there was months where there was just too many. I was like, oh, my, are we ever going like, to get on top of this? But I, I, something slowed down a bit. I'm still waiting for like some killer AI apps, though. But something yeah. will be coming along in open source for sure. It's funny. You know, you know, I guess it was about 10 months ago when everything started to kind of blow up with AI, you know, publicly, mm -hmm. I should say. Um, and was having several conversations with colleagues and friends about it and they're like oh my god you see this and that and this and that and like literally you know you open youtube or twitter or something and there's a new ai app to do something obscure <laughs> yeah. and i said you know hold on a second i said here's the life cycle that it's going to have you're going to have all these independent little apps bigger companies will start to gobble them up which it's already starting to happen but what they're now doing is creating APIs so that you can plug everything together and it's still gonna be a kind of a bird's nest. And that's kind of where we're at. You can, if you know what you're doing, plug things together into make your own system, mm -hmm. but it's it's still taking a while before we have an OS. And it's funny, you, you, you know, you're mentioning, oh, I just use ChatGPT for everything. And for the most part, I, I'm very much the same way. And it's funny how all the browsers are now like, oh, we've got plugins for, for everything, AI thing, every, every AI tool you need. We've got plugins for that. But when do the plugins turn into mature apps and make the browser obsolete? Yeah, we're so, still waiting for that, aren't we? It is funny. I, expect it, I expected more by now, but I don't think it's going to be a huge problem in terms of you know, all the different AI solutions because they'll just talk to each other, right? That's one of the, the beauties about this new tech is that you don't need someone to code up the API. Like I read about the people making plugins for ChatGPT, which I don't use many of them, mainly because of the discoverability thing, right? Uh, their interface is not good. Like it's browsing them is awful. And really, you need to subscribe to the mailing list to figure out which ones to even use. But, um, yeah, like the the fact that they, uh, the the plugin authors just like basically describe how to use the API and that's it. <laughs> you don't really have to do any code. So I, I think I see you getting there. I, I think, like, so, you know, Apple at some point are going to like bake it into all their devices, and that's going to be a huge thing. Yeah, we we no always have really to compete. wait for Apple to make sure to say it's okay. Right. <laughs> Meanwhile, the well, rest just... of the world is, has been doing glue and duct tape in their own stuff at home or by themselves mm -hmm. for from years. It's it's kind of ironic and funny. Um, so, but uh, Apple's ecosystem is tough to beat. Like Google can't. Google want to. Microsoft want to. Yeah, 
people who have Apple devices have them all and then so when Apple adds something you got it on everything and so well I have an iPhone I got a Mac um, when they bake that AI layer into the operating system itself and then all the apps just talk with that and of course like the devices uh, some of the best for AI uh, at, their, at their cost level they've been building that uh, machine learning chip into them for years uh, it's going to be interesting and like they obviously are going to take their time over it I was kind of surprised they even bothered with the mixed reality glasses considering what was going on this year but they did and that, that one's a bit strange in terms of where they exactly see that going you know it's too expensive obviously so yeah and uh you know for the it's really for the developer community to really give it a test give them a test bed to see if they're going to start to dream up new products and experiences with it um i think it's kind of cool I, I i think it's really cool let's put let's put it that way but you know in in terms of the curve um you know innovation and, and adoption curves i think it's a way, long ways off three plus thousand dollars um for a headset uh, interesting when i can almost do the same thing with a samsung phone um or another phone <laughs> well i'm sure it'll be next level but is oh, I know. next I, level in terms of watching movies and having interactive facetime videos like because that was all that they did right taking pictures which was weird watching movies yeah. yeah so it's definitely cool tech and they they see there being a future there right but like it's definitely not going to be mass adoption until it's tiny you know people don't want to walk around with headsets on uh, <laughs> even, yeah, even it, if the work environment will be better yeah like, uh i think there it's a it's a hint that you know work environments probably will be you know 50% remote. That'll be a normal thing for a lot of people. So, hey, that makes sense. I mean, a lot of it makes sense. It's, it's, they make beautiful products. Um, but, uh, hey, you, you never sense. know what happens with these things. And, you know, uh, I always look at Samsung. They're always like literally years ahead of them. <laughs> I think from a technology standpoint, um, what you brought up, Max, before, uh, as far as an ML chip in you know, a dedicated ML chip in a phone, that's a game changer. And uh, one of the things much like that, which I was very interested last year, they started promoting it was Solana's um, mobile phone, their crypto mm -hmm. phone. I thought that was really interesting, you know, baked in uh, hardware uh, and specialized software that ran, ran in tandem to uh offer users real security wallet security um you know out and about yep. when you're out and about that's really cool yeah they're trying to push the boundaries for sure and uh good on them for yeah. uh, for the attempt i think phones are super <laughs> difficult to crack you know you've got, you got your two pillars of course it's uh android underneath so we'll see like it would have been yeah I don't know I just feel I, like it would be better if it was mostly software and then they did sell a phone and you could use it but yeah I think uh, having dedicated uh, hardware and stuff like that could, is, is going to pose some challenges and the optimal word you brought up was attempt <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you know well, some, someone's got to push the boundaries yeah, otherwise we never yeah. get anywhere I, I, uh, I spoke with Vibu Norby in, uh, from 
the CEO of Solana Spaces, I don't know, six months ago. And, you know, we were hot on Solana Spaces. There's one in New York, there's Texas, mm. LA, wherever. Fantastic experience just for spending money, you know, crypto money um, or Sol. And, and really great experience. And I kept bringing up the phone, kept bringing up the phone. And he's like, oh, well, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. You know, and that's all they could say. And, you know, you do have to give them props for trying. This is, mm -hmm. that's a that's a real challenge your brand and not just within the Web3 or blockchain space. That is a challenger to Apple, Samsung, you know, Huawei, whoever else. Um, yeah, so it, it, as I say, it's very, very difficult to uh, really challenge, but, you know, they've certainly got the gumption to do it. I like good on them for not releasing it in a hurry. You know, when it's done, that's that's the right attitude. As long as uh, you can afford that, <laughs> like I, uh, a T cannot afford that. We have to be out within our burn, <laughs> obviously, or we'd raise again. But um, they they can, and so they should. Yep, software. You always have to deliver, right? It's always someone watching. Um, on a broader topic, and we, we touched on this a little bit before, um, we've spoken with tons of Web3 companies and developers and CEOs uh, across the, the web. And for many years, we've been hearing really fascinating stories about how they deal with their quote unquote workforce, if you will. Do you have any like interesting techniques? You know, there's, there's code reviews, bug bounties, there's, you know, and beyond. How do you how do you democratize that scenario? You, you touched on it a little before, but how do you do that? Well, you know, I feel that open source was the original DAO. <laughs> you know, like we were doing things in a decentralized remote fashion before uh, Web2. And uh, I, you know, I learned quickly with Homebrew how to manage a community so that um, it works despite the fact that you're not face to face and despite the fact that the incentives are not always clear. And, um, you know, certainly using the tools effectively, you couldn't have done it without GitHub for, for all, all the uh, aggro they get nowadays, because, you know, it's a different company for sure to the one I remember in 2008 and nine. Uh, they really nailed the interface and the idea of how to do code socially. And like, they came at it from open source first, right? That was where it came from. Like, I feel so much of modern software doesn't realize it, but we we designed the systems everyone's using <laughs> when we were building open source. All the stuff that's so essential nowadays, continuous integration, that was like some random blog post back in 2010 or something that I read someone trying to do it for open source uh, so yeah like the community is so key with all these things they take the project to the next level it's, it doesn't matter how good the idea is if you don't nurture that community and like uh, understand how to work with them even though they're going to be in different time zones different places different uh, rates of work even and uh, yeah, well, sometimes you have to finish the work for them because that's open source at least. 
Right, in terms of my company, like commercial, we're a commercial open source company, COSS, uh, which of course is a relatively new concept. It didn't used to be possible to raise money and do open source. Like the VCs would go, "What? You're going to give away the code? How's that going to work?" Times have certainly changed, and you know we're remote, we're decentralized, we're all over the world, different time zones. Philippines is the hardest one. He's going to bed as we're getting up. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, but yeah, ultimately, you know, there are systems that run basically autonomously, right? So I've talked to other protocols that have, you know, they've tokenized their whole model. And, you, you know, bug bounties, code reviews, it's all gamified. And you're, you're issued a score. You don't want to, most people don't want to even give you their names. They don't want you to know where they live. And mm -hmm. they only accept crypto, which is kind of fun and cool. It's, uh, it's a good, you know, it's how, like back, back when I first got into Emsource, I didn't know who anyone was. All I knew was their alias. <laughs> I didn't know where they lived. And it didn't matter. That's not important. Like, um, during Web2, we forgot about the importance of decentralizing because that's what we were trying to do back with the original internet and then lead up to web two. And then we got so carried away with like the power of centralization. that now we've given up all our power to Microsoft and Facebook and Google and everybody else. It's that that's kind of profound. And it's, it's a, um, it's kind of a big deal that that statement is a really big deal. It's, it's a lot of what this podcast is about and it's, it's about removing yourself from the shackles or the cages that you've been put into it's now it, it's interesting because it took crypto i'm not an economist i'm not an analyst in any way um that's why i never give i mean i'll give friends and family crypto advice on investing and sometimes we talk about it on the channel but it really i make sure that you understand that that's not the cloth i'm cut from do not take it as, you know, gospel. Um, but I think it, it took crypto for me to understand how poorly our current global, currently our global economies are set up and architected. Mm. So, and it's not just me now, it's everyone else is looking at global financial collapses in the US, central bank in the US, the UK, Brex, everything uh, across the world everything is changing and i think people are changing people are changing their minds and shifting centralization breeds destruction it breeds chaos and theft in yeah. many in many cases can it work yes but if there are no validators uh, unbiased validators in between two parties it really won't work um <clears throat> so it's interesting to see people's minds change from a financial s standpoint and we'll start to see them where we are seeing it happen in social media wait a minute cambridge analytics uh you know zuckerberg sold my my information to cambridge cambridge analytics i didn't even know they were partnered with them i didn't even know they could do that um says everyone in the world and then you get pissed and then no one uses your product because you stole um, and, uh, you know, it's interesting how the whole open source world 
I think will have its, uh, it is actually having a very big renaissance. And I, I think that's amazing. It's fantastic. It's a powerhouse that has been building and building and uh, it's more important than ever. Open source is by its nature just this intrinsically evolutionary thing. Like people release little tools out there that do something important and if it's good people grab hold of them and they shove them in the stack of software and it becomes like a part of the internet that just can't disappear we're uh, really peaking right now but it just can't be stopped that's the thing um, it's just like Bitcoin right? you just can't stop open source Microsoft tried so damnedly they did in like the early 2000s to kill it with fear, uncertainty, and doubt, suing different open source projects and things like that. It's remarkable how they've turned around. Uh, <laughs> like now they're big into open source, right? But it would just keep on going and you can't stop it. So if governments try it, they'll fail. Like I'd love for governments to try and stop some of these projects and then for the open source community to write in something to the licenses which says, this government is forbidden from using this open source and seeing how that like cascades like i'm sure the u.s government would like to think that they don't use much open source but the reality is that they probably use a, a hell of a lot more than they realize uh, we we hold a lot of power it's just a matter of uh taking it yeah well you know we'll we'll see how microsoft and some of the you know the big boys out there handle this because at the end of the day if you're a futurist and you know you don't even have to be a futurist many developers you know and myself and others are like well why do i have to use windows 10 or 11 like uh, you'll just go on you'll just get an internet connection and then download a piece of software or something that just runs you build your own os that works for you if you're a video editor, you might need something different. If you're a developer, you might have a more lean down uh, operating system. So you run faster and smoother or you're running machine learning or something like that locally. Uh, you know, you build your own operating system. We're starting to see that already on Web3, you know, and the future is near. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's very sensible. Um, you know, I used to be a Linux head. I was a Windows person before that, like, I was in the UK and like, there was a computer called the BBC Micro that uh, I used. Then I switched to Linux and then I switched to Mac and you know now I got friends who were Mac and switched back to Linux and I can see that it's possible possible to go back to it again now. Right? Things have advanced enough. Um, and I would love to start building out yeah my own like if uh, if when T protocol is. Uh, you know, working and successful, I would love to spin off a department to uh, make a new, you know, a new uh, new Linux sheen, the uh, the desktop environment. It's always been a long-term thing I would love to have done. Yeah, th that sounds, and I know I have fr I've run, run Linux myself for, for various reasons in the past. I started with Mac in college, went to PC for gaming for a while, was hybrid. And then finally, about two, about, about three years ago, I switched all my devices over to Android and, uh, you know, PCs. It was just easier. Um, 
there were it was open there was more options more customization you can run them faster longer and frankly you can build them so i built mining rigs um you know and that's a lesson in you know flexibility you know when a company puts specialized screws in their aluminum cases so you can't open them up that's a red flag for me you know that like the yeah. right to repair right mm -hmm. to repair is a huge deal for me um let me fix my own computer you know mm -hmm. um, give me the, the instructions again you know hermetically sealed everything psychologically <laughs> and physically everything is sealed um and, yeah. that, and that gets back to the open source discussion of you know people are for years you, you yourself and others have put their egos aside and said i want to contribute to something bigger than myself that is owned by really no one or a doubt maybe who knows i i i have to i have to confess i have some ego in it <laughs> <laughs> but um you know yeah mostly i was drawn in by the community of open source that's what drew me in in the first place still linux got involved in a bunch of open source there and that's what's so great about it but the only reason I ever switched to Mac is because it was Unix underneath and uh, I appreciated the Apple design choices I still do but Apple's not the same company as it was not not just because Jobs died but you know like I, I actually worked at Apple for a year which is a good story in itself but um, while I was there I learned that the amount of people who worked there had gone up by 15 times since uh, Steve Jobs died even you can't keep a company culture in the same spirit with that like size of scale over the, such a short amount of time and it shows like they make a lot of weird decisions nowadays that turn you off to a certain extent and so you know this is why I have a lot of friends who switched to Mac in like the in 2008-ish like I did and uh, have now switched back to Linux Linux has advanced a long way in the meantime, of course, but it's still, you know, <laughs> there's there's a few apps that I'd miss from Mac, but most of the things I use are cross-platform nowadays, and that's why T, the Cli and the GUI, like, we're, they're cross-platform. Like, I wanted a tool that if I did want to switch back to Linux, it would be the same. And, uh, and like, I, you know, it doesn't work properly with Windows yet. It doesn't work properly with Windows native, but it works with WSL. Uh, but making it work Windows Native is on my to-do list. Um, it just makes sense for me that the fruits of open source need to be available to you, whatever you're using. So from the from the get-go, it was built to be extendable to operating systems and platforms that we haven't even considered yet. someone told me that um, Apple uh, pr uh, tried to get the lightning cable uh, made into the USB cable right they proposed it to the standards body they designed it for it to be that which makes sense to me because they, they don't want something that's different even though everyone thinks that they love their proprietary this and that and the other like they they want their moats uh, they felt they had enough. I could believe that they would have given away that cable, but uh, apparently the body didn't didn't choose it, so they yeah. just decided to use it themselves. Uh. Yeah, definitely odd um, 
odd to hardware and software to design decisions for sure. I've been try. I, I still love Apple. Don't get me wrong. Um, but, you know, my family runs a lot of Apple products. We still have a lot of Apple products, but you know, when you remove the uh, the audio jack, that really pissed a lot of people <laughs> off. It sounds so stupid, mm. but it, it it actually is a big deal. Um, and and phones are small enough, and they're they're robust enough that you can fit a lot of these these extra ports and and uh, hardware, uh, you know, uh, yeah. IOs yeah. on it. So you know. They did it for fifteen percent extra battery, of course, but um, fifteen percent still doesn't make it last as long as people need. Like I miss my Nokia that would last a week. Like uh, I call it battery anxiety. Um, that we just have so many devices that are always running out of battery, and there's some part of us that's always like, "Oh God, I got to charge this, and I got to charge that." With these headphones, I've got to charge the bloody headphones every couple of days and my laptop and my phone and my watch and my wireless mouse <laughs> yeah uh, I'm fed up with it <laughs> yeah right. so I get it 15% extra battery but it's not enough I want a week of battery so if you're not going to give me a week of battery yeah like why are you taking away the headphone jack yeah like is that is that really worth it yeah they the, the balance so. is a little off for sure um but uh Maybe no week like of battery Samsung then copied right yeah. So all the Android phones did the same after making fun of it. So there must be something there. I yeah. don't know what it is exactly. Well, it Samsung is a big port, relatively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, Samsung, you know, they make a lot of the parts for Apple, right? The screens, mm -hmm. some of the batteries. Samsung is like, uh, you know, I'm into e EV transportation, more or less, escape, you know, like e, e skateboarding and stuff like that. Samsung, all the high-end boards are all Samsung batteries. The the ones that don't catch on fire, um, <laughs> knock on wood. Um, but they're they're just you know everyone thinks oh the Samsung S twenty three whatever Ultra, this flagship phone. No, that's like a drop in the bucket for them. That's nothing. The phone is like advertising. That's about it. Everything else, like these high performance, you know, LCD screens and the Rhino glass and the and the and the batteries and some of the circuitry is really where they shine and what what actually keeps them ahead ahead of everyone. But um, that we we digress a little bit there. <laughs> um, before we wrap up, Max, you know, and I really appreciate your time. I, I'm really enjoying this conversation. Um, what else do you want us to know about tea? Um, yeah, so we're going to have our incentivized test note later this year. We're hoping to uh, show the open source community with that, like how effective the tea protocol can be. And it'll be a lot of fun to onboard. We've spent a lot of time on the onboarding process and what we're building out that exists on the web. So, uh, you know, if you know open source developers or one yourself, Definitely come to a website, sign up the mailing list so you get notified when it goes out. And as I say, it's incentivized, so uh, there there is something in it for you to participate. And uh, you know, generally, just spread the word. Like um, this is going to change the nature of open source in a way that's positive. Like we spent so much time designing it to make sure it doesn't change like the good parts of open source and only, only changes like the parts that are problematic but I sincerely hope that 
once this thing is live, um, developers who currently like have to choose between open source or a full-time job can change that. And developers that maybe have never even considered open source but have some ideas, because everyone's got an idea or two, maybe you could even like find a way to not have to do that you know, job for Facebook. I think it's ridiculous that some of our most talented engineers in the world like spend their time tweaking ad algorithms and like making like dopamine hits that are destroying our uh, teenage youth mental health. Uh, it's not a good use. And open source is an incredibly good use of anyone's intellect. Like you are literally making the world a better place. So yeah, we're hoping that we can make it so it's properly incentivized. Uh, so yeah, t.xyz is our website. Come on, sign up for the, uh, the mailing list and uh, while you're there, check out the package manager because uh, it's great. <laughs> I made homebrew and over the years, I always had these ideas for how to make something better, but I didn't want to go back. Like God, it was so much work. And I'm just remembering now like how much work it is to like, um, manage all the open source that exists <laughs> um, but put all the ideas in and it's a really nice piece of software you should check it out we certainly will and we encourage our, our viewers and listeners um, to check it out t.xyz um, Max do you have a discord channel or a telegram channel that you you want to promote yeah we got a discord um, it's on the website seems sure. like, you, you know I don't remember put it the in link. unique ID of it. <laughs> so I'll yeah, check us out. Um, we've got Twitter <laughs> as well. And um, yeah, that, that's the main ones. Yeah, you know, for everyone listening, uh, check them out. You know, the, 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 the founders of Brew are now with T and really interesting open source project, um, not just from a product standpoint, from a whole ecosystem uh, end of things. They're starting to figure out a lot of the, not just the technical uh, limitations and or advancements within a piece of software, but the whole ecosystem. And that includes human beings. So um, really interesting product. We'll be checking you out more. Max, thank you so much. Everyone check them out. Great. Thank you very much, Rich. Thanks, Max.